You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Well, hiya, everybody. Welcome to episode 26. What am I up to this morning? I'm so glad that you asked. I am currently on Bambi Watch. What does that mean? Well, here's what I'm doing. I built this beautiful, amazing garden only to find out that the neighborhood deer are the ones who chow down and benefit the most from it. Apparently, my soap shreddings didn't keep them away, but looking at the bright side, my backyard does in fact smell of fresh Irish spring. All right, on to today's episode. Today, I am chatting with Amy C. Willis. Amy is a sobriety and mindset coach and founder of Whole and Well. She supports women and LGBTQ plus folks in reclaiming their power and freedom through sobriety. Amy comes to this work after struggling with alcohol addiction for more than 15 years and losing her dad to his alcohol addiction. Amy has now been sober for almost six years. She's doing some really amazing work in the sober community and quite frankly, in life. Rather than listing it all off in the opening five minutes here, I am just going to shut up and let her tell you all about it in this special episode. Quick shout out to Sue and also to Tori. Thank you guys so much for your donation to the show. It seriously means more than you know, and I can't thank you enough. Listeners, if you're interested in giving back and want to support the show, just head to decidedlydry.com. All right, on to our episode. Here's Amy. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jess with Decidedly Dry, and today I am so excited to introduce you to Amy C. Willis. Amy, thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat. I am too. I'm excited to get to know you. And I just know that this is going to be a super, super great conversation. So thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, my dear. So I'm sure you've done these talks before, but we're just going to, we're going to start at the beginning. This is where I would love for you to just tell listeners a little bit about yourself. So who you are, where you live, what you do for fun, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you said my name is Amy C. Willis. I use she, her pronouns. I am queer. I live in Toronto, Canada. I am a spinster, as I've mentioned. I'm child-free by choice. Uh, next month, I will celebrate six years of sobriety, which feels very exciting. Yay! Yeah. Um, I work professionally in the recovery space as a sobriety and mindset coach. I'm also a writer, a speaker, a founder, and a truth teller. And when I'm not working, you can likely find me somewhere outside um, or cycling or hiking or cross-stitching, which is a fun little hobby that I started during COVID, um, or hanging out with my very geriatric cat, whose name is Captain. Captain. Oh, Captain. (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff. I feel like I already have so much in common with you. Outdoors, Mm -hmm. biking 
art and crafts. I mean, come on. I love it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same. Well, tell me, tell me your history with alcohol. Let's just get into it. So mm-hmm. when did you start? When did things start to kind of shift anything you want to share? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started drinking when I was about 16 and I, you know, if you were to look at it from the outside, it would look like I was drinking with my peers, you know, in a social and kind of experimental way. Um, internally and in, in my inner, you know, the inner workings of my life, my family of origin at that time was like going through a really massive upheaval. So even though I started drinking, you know, with friends and in a social capacity, what I learned through discovering alcohol was it actually presented as a tool for coping for what was happening in my life, which was tremendously stressful and really traumatic. And as a 16 year old, I didn't have a lot of say over what was happening, but I did have a say over whether or not I consumed alcohol. And so, you know, when I think back on my relationship to drinking and the role that alcohol has played in my life, it's never really just been fun and social. So I, you know, use it as a coping tool personally. I also grew up in a home where my dad struggled with a pretty severe addiction to alcohol as well. So, you know, the examples and the modeling I had associated with alcohol was really fraught and complicated. And of course, informed my relationship to drinking. So prior to starting to drink, um, I had already experienced a lot of trauma. And again, sort of looking back on it, I'm not sure if you're familiar with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences or Events. It's essentially um, a test that you can retroactively take, um, which sort of sheds light on the likelihood of whether or not you are going to develop an addiction um, or, you know, chronic illnesses later on in life. It's kind of a predictor. And of course, there are other factors that go into it. But, you know, when I had my first sip of alcohol when I was 16, I had an ACEs score of six out of 10. And for every additional point, your likelihood of developing an addiction increases. And so I was really primed for addiction, which I didn't know at the time. And so over the years, I kept drinking more and more. And as it does, like my drinking and my addiction to alcohol progressed. Um, I got to the point where I was regularly blacking out. I have tons of unaccounted for time, which is like really scary to think about looking back on, especially as a woman and just being in, you know, really vulnerable positions over the years. Um, And, you know, I just kept drinking more and more and more and more. And Mm -hmm outwardly my life you know looked pretty good like I finished my undergrad I went to grad school I you know always had jobs and paid my bills and had partners and friend circles and all of that Um, but again internally like what was happening in terms of my mood and in terms of my mental health is really where I started to notice like a really significant decline So after nights of really heavy drinking, I, you know, I wouldn't ever say that I was suicidal, but I became indifferent about whether or not I wanted to live and what happened next just kind of felt like it didn't really matter. 
And knowing now what I know about my life and what my baseline is, that also feels like a really scary and dark place to reflect back on. Yeah. Um, so the turning point for me um, that really, you know, changed my relationship to alcohol completely and forever changed the trajectory of my life was when my dad suddenly and unexpectedly passed away in 2014, also alcohol related. And so I didn't immediately quit drinking. In fact, my addiction got a lot worse as like a way to deal with the grief and the sadness. And I already had a really complicated relationship with my dad. And now all of the complicated issues that went along with that relationship were mine to deal with alone because he was gone. And so, you know, I was tremendously sad and I was overcome with grief. And I honestly didn't believe that I could handle what was happening or I could, you know, I didn't think I could withstand the intensity of the feelings that I was experiencing. And so I, I drank about it and I drank heavily for another year or so. And sometime into 2015, after the acute grief had passed, I was still drinking a lot, but it was, you know, and I can't even really pinpoint it, but I just, some something questions from somewhere maybe ancestors maybe universe I don't know but questions started popping in like is this it is this is this your whole life and like is there more to life for you than being in this cycle of drinking and drinking your face off and being hungover and being consumed with thoughts about drinking and just being in that over and over and over And I eventually got to a place where I was like, this can't be it for me. Like, this can't be it. And I had just sort of watched the trajectory of my dad's life go the way it had gone. And I knew that something had to be different. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually, after, you know, sort of trying for about a year of, you know, I would say maybe being sober curious, but also being really scared and like, not sure that I was ready to commit. Um, August 22nd, 2016 is my sober date. Um, So next month will be six years sober for me. And uh, that's, that's the nutshell version of my drinking life. Wow. 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 Oh, I'm proud of you. I mean, Thank you. Uh, it takes a lot. And I mean, I love that you gave us the whole, the whole picture because, you know, when you were talking about how alcohol was how you coped when you were younger, mm-hmm. and then that was really the only way you knew to cope with losing your dad, you know, even yeah. after, you know, the way that he, he left, but I, I, I just, I It makes me so sad because I know that this story is so similar to so many out there. Like we just, that's all we know. Like, oh, well, alcohol make this go away temporarily. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now that we're on the other side, we develop all of these healthier ways to cope. But it it saddens me that so many of us just turned to that. That was the off switch. That was the escape. That was going to make it better at the Mm -hmm. time. Oh. Powerful story. Thank you for sharing all of that here. I really, really yeah. appreciate it. Um, yeah. So you removed it. 
you started getting those flags, asking Mm -hmm. those questions. Mm -hmm. Were there any big tools that you really look back on and think, oh man, that was incredibly helpful. That was where I really, I mean, did you do a program? Did you, you know, go to certain things, certain activities, certain communities? What helped in the beginning? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the very first thing that I did was make a rock solid decision that I was unwilling to continue to live my life the way that I had been living it. Mm -hmm. And I know that that sounds very obvious like when when you're like okay I'm gonna make a change great I've decided to make a change but I had just come off a year of like well I'll try not to drink and then I would go for a week without drinking and I'd be like I did so well I'm gonna reward myself by drinking for right. three days straight you know and it's I can just be a normal like, drinker now yeah 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 so after a year of that I was like okay so that's not clearly working very well for me. Um, And I don't want to knock the effort because I think there was effort there. Like I was doing something differently. It just Mm -hmm. like maybe wasn't the best plan, but um, (laughs) nevertheless. um, So yeah, for me, you know, it seems very obvious, but it felt like a revelation and that's something I had, you know, never, it just like never occurred to me that I needed to be like, I'm doing this thing, regardless of how hard it is, Mm -hmm. regardless of how uncomfortable I get, regardless of if it's messy and there are days when I don't want to, like, it doesn't matter. I'm doing this thing because if I don't, I'm probably going to end up like my dad. And I don't want to die. I don't want to go down that road. And so that was like the first, the first sort of thing for me. Um, I had a tremendous amount of shame around my substance use and my addiction. And I didn't have a lot of people in my life that I even really told, you know, what was happening because I just, I was like, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to admit that I had a problem. But what I did do was start to connect with and find as many sober women on Instagram as I could. And, you know, I, uh, we can say whatever we want about social media. Certainly there are problems. And I'm tremendously grateful to that platform because you can um, connect, you can witness, um, you can see what is possible Mm -hmm. in other people's lives. And that felt really, really helpful and really powerful. And it inspired me. And it also made me feel less alone in my own circumstances and my own situation. And so, you know, what I didn't realize I was doing at the time, but what I would say now is like, I sought out community. I sought out other women who had similar stories, who had gotten somehow to the other side and seemed to be living lives that they really loved. And that felt really, really hopeful. Um, So that was like a huge part of what I was doing. Um, In my life before this, I was in academia, research, global health, and I'm a nerd at heart. So one of the other things, you know, anytime I'm diving into something new, I'm like, I got to read about it. Sure. So I read 
um, memoirs. I read other people's stories, which I think served a similar purpose of like not feeling so alone and feeling like, okay, if these folks who also really struggled can somehow like figure their way out of this thing, maybe I can also. Mm-hmm. Um, I also started to read um, a lot about addiction and like what's actually happening in our brains and what's happening in our bodies when we put all of these really powerful and addictive substances into them. And for me, the knowledge piece of like, this is what's happening in my body. And here's like some of the harm that I'm doing to it. That was really, really helpful um, for me as well. And I think the other thing, well, there are a few other things, um, but um, I just, I took a real honest look at my life. Mm-hmm. And not just, you know, my habits around drinking and my addiction, but all the other stuff that like bolstered my addiction. And I was just like, nope, like it's a lot of it's got to go. Yeah. And I really committed to prioritizing my sobriety and anything that kind of came in the way of that. I was just like, it's a temporary no, yeah. it, whether that's like going to these places that are you know, booze filled events, whether it's hanging out with people where the glue that brought us together was substances, whatever it was, I was just like, this needs to be a no for now, because this is challenging this other thing. And I'm really committed to this other thing. So I would say in a way that was really like a practice of boundaries and a practice of self-care. And those are two other like pieces of, of my sobriety that really sort of, um, I would say laid the foundation for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here nodding my head. I know you know that, but listeners don't, but it's because every time you're starting something, I like am thinking the same word and then you say it and it's beautiful because <laughs> I mean, you nailed it though. I mean, I love how in the beginning you pointed out the importance of just accepting that it's off the table. Alcohol is off the table right now. It yeah. cannot be that be, you know, and that was something, um, our mutual friend Blair had mentioned in a previous episode where she just had to accept it's not an option. Mm -hmm. It cannot be a maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe I could have a little, maybe I could just have a glass of wine. No, like for me, what is going to help my sobriety and my journey right now. And for me to get this momentum and make this thing work is for it to be off the table 100%. And so I love that you point that out because it's scary in the beginning. We're so lost Mm -hmm. and this is this new, really hard thing. And sometimes by just accepting that it, it can't, it can't be an option. It actually helps, (laughs) you know, tremendously. Yeah. And I think that's the decision piece, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's like, cool, I've decided on this as opposed to moving through the world every single day, having to decide or not. And I don't know about you, but alcohol took up so much mental space and mental load. It was exhausting. It felt, you know, very akin to when I was in the throes of my disordered eating, it was all I could think about. And it's just like, no. So I'm just going to like close the door on this thing. That's actually killing me. So right. Good. <laughs> and, um, and then I don't every day, I don't have to be like, should I, shouldn't I maybe just exactly. one maybe max two, like, mm-hmm. and it's just like, 
this is not for me. And like, I can now let that be okay. Um, But that was like a really powerful moment at the time, because I was like, I can't, I can't move through this every single day being like, should I, shouldn't I? No, no. And, and the knowledge piece, I mean, that I know for a lot of people is very eye-opening because I think when we're still drinking, you kind of have the blinders up. Like, "Ah, I know that it's probably not good for me, but I really like doing it right now. (laughs) You know, it's like, we just don't want to, we don't want to face the facts. And so when you are in early sobriety, I think that's a powerful piece is like, Hey, remind yourself of the negatives, remind yourself of how and why our body actually does not want alcohol in it. <laughs> our bodies love like to all. be alcohol free. I mean, there's a reason you get sick the next day because your body is fighting to get that out of here. So, yeah. and I know that's that's one piece you're pretty passionate about, I'm pretty sure is um, just kind of the links to breast cancer and just all of the risks. Do you mind touching on that a little bit? I would not mind. In fact, I'm (laughs) very glad. I'm very glad we can talk about this. Um, So yeah, you know, in my drinking days, kind of like what you just said, I was like, "Mm, this probably, like, I'm aware roughly that this probably isn't like a great idea for my body, but. I like, I had no idea how bad alcohol was for humans. Um, And one of the things, and this is something I'm especially, as you say, passionate about talking about is the link between alcohol and breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So right off the hop, I'm just going to say for anybody who is interested in looking into this a little bit more on their own, really great website to check out is drinklessforyourbreasts.org. That is the uh, outward facing end of like a research project around young women's awareness around the causal relationship between alcohol and breast cancer. So it's a research-based platform and all of that. Um, So a few things. One, we know and have mountains of evidence that alcohol use is a risk factor for breast cancer. And this information, hold your hat, has been in the world for more than 30 years. So this is not new. This is not breaking news. This is not breaking news, guys. It's not breaking news. We've had the research and the data for more than 30 years. So the better part of my life. So um, various studies on the awareness of this fact indicate, generally speaking, that awareness levels amongst women are really low. So depending on the study, depending on the, you know, sociocultural or geographic location, awareness levels range anywhere from 16 to 25%, which is like very, very low. So comparatively, there's a lot of awareness around like the hereditary and genetic factors that increase one's risk of developing breast cancer. Um, And there's a lot of awareness around alcohol being causally linked to something like liver cancer. But when it comes to alcohol and breast cancer, the awareness levels are super low. And this is by design. And I think, you know, this is one of the reasons that I'm really passionate about talking about it not because I want everybody to not drink. I mean, I secretly do want everybody to not drink, but more importantly, I want to share information so that people, women can make educated, informed decisions and manage their risk in their lives. And 
it's really hard to make an informed decision in the current climate because there is so much misinformation. So last year in the U.S., uh, there were an estimated like 19, more than 19,000 cases of breast cancer that were attributed to alcohol use. Um, we know that 10 drinks a week, regardless of what you're drinking, so it doesn't matter if it's wine or beer or hard liquor, um, 10 drinks a week increases your risk of breast cancer by around 20%. And the more you drink, the more the risk increases. And conversely, the less you drink, the more you reduce your risk. So that's a positive. And like, I really want to like be clear about that part because Mm -hmm. there is something that we can do about it. Um, So where I live in Canada, our low risk or moderate guidelines for women is 10 drinks a week. And so these guidelines without even acknowledging it are placing women at a much greater risk of developing breast cancer. And so it's just like, why aren't, why aren't we talking about this more? Um, So yeah, alcohol and breast cancer, it's a thing. It's a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and just those numbers right there. I mean, (sighs) we're, we're, some of us are just set up to lose. I mean, it's something that is preventative and yet yeah. we have all this information that is, that is hurting us, you know, on the other side, like that information yeah. that you just provided is enlightening and encouraging and should be shouted from the rooftops. But it makes me just cringe when, you know, you hear up in Canada, you know, that it's okay to have that amount. That's okay. Yeah. That's a low amount. That's like the suggested low risk amount. I'm like, what risk are we talking about here? Right. Because if we're talking about breast cancer, that's not low risk. An Mm -mm. increase of 20% is not low risk. Not low risk at all. And that's super frustrating because all, you know, when you were talking about that, I'm thinking in my head, you know, I mean, it feels like we live in a world where there's a lot of awareness, you know, when it comes to breast cancer. I feel like anytime I turn the TV on, you know, during a certain time of year, it's all pink. It's all pink uniforms. It's, you know, it's everything. There's a lot of awareness, but I, I, I've never heard them talk about how, you know, alcohol could be an easy way, a simple preventative way to just lower your risk, you know, by removing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like we can't do anything about genetic and hereditary factors, right? right? Those are not controllables for us. But as you say, like alcohol is entirely preventative. It's Mm -hmm. optional. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like extra, right? It's not this like necessary thing that's in our lives. It's not like drinking water, you know, nutritious food. It's this thing that like doesn't need to be there and is actually making us very sick. So I just wonder, you know, if the conversation was more ubiquitous and we were talking about it in more open, transparent ways, how would women choose differently? Right. And maybe they wouldn't, I don't know, but it's just like, we need to put the information out there so that each woman can at least make an informed decision for herself. Options, options, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I love that. I love that you pointed out that. And that, that was, I always feel like somehow Annie Grace always pops into these episodes, but that's how this naked mind was for me was very informative. And it was like, you, you can't unhear those things. I mean, you can ignore them for a while in the beginning, but once you hear it, it's kind of like, no, I know better. Like 
I'm doing yeah. harm. I can do better than this. I can be better. I can feel better. So, so why not? You know? Yeah. So yeah. Thank you for talking about that. What an important piece. And for those of you listening, I will make sure to get that website that you mentioned in the beginning and have that in the show notes so that it can be uh, available to anybody listening and curious. Ah, oh, so much good stuff, Amy. Okay. So I want to, this is about the part where I love to shift to the good, not that this isn't good, but where we get mm-hmm. to focus on some of the benefits that you started feeling immediately once you removed it. Like what were some of those things that just started to improve? I laugh and smile when I say that, cause I'm like literally every area of my life got better. I mean, <laughs> all areas, it, not yeah. that it was easy, but for yeah. you share some of those things with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In my notes, I'm like literally everything. Um, okay. So in the like immediate, so as I mentioned, I spent a lot of time in my life being hungover, which is just like miserable. So immediately no longer being hungover, no longer having splitting headaches, no longer being in like a very dark, depressive hole for days after heavy drinking, um, no longer having my sleep disrupted, um, no longer like vomiting. <laughs> so gross. I know, I know. You know, but it's part of it. It was part of it for me. So all of that, like really terrible, terrible stuff gone right away. Yeah. Um, so I would say like one of the things that I noticed probably like the soonest, even though I was like, grumpily kind of moving my way through early sobriety I was like I'm actually not as like moody and (laughs) even though I'm like I'm not I'm not here and like jazzed about it yet um but I'm like but my mood is better so so that's that's like an improvement um I definitely started to notice differences in like my sleep and my energy, which makes sense because alcohol is so disruptive to our sleep. Um, it's like wild. It's wild. Um, even though folks think that it like is this miracle elixir that helps you fall asleep. I'm like, actually you're just being sedated. So that's like akin to having surgery, right? Like you don't come out of anesthesia being like, I'm so rested, right? That's not It's not a thing, same for alcohol, (laughs) but anyway, so those are some of the things sort of like initially, and then now, you know, almost six years into this thing, in terms of my life, like one, I built this life that I'm madly in love with and all the awesome shit that's here is a result of my sobriety. Mm -hmm. And I now feel like literally anything I want, anything in my wildest dreams, I can do. I can do it. I can be it. I can make it. I can go there. Mm -hmm. And that feels amazing. Like that was not in the realm of possibility for me in my drinking days. Um, so that, that's like a pretty, (laughs) pretty big thing. Um, and then just in terms of like my relationship to myself, like now that I'm not one constantly abandoning myself two constantly abusing my body three constantly, like, uh, yeah, just like escaping anything that feels challenging or difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, I have developed this really strong relationship with myself where I 
actually, I like myself. I love myself. And I do both of those things unconditionally all the time. So that feels really healing and helpful. Um, And then I think piggybacking on that, I feel more confident than I ever have in any stage of my life. And I think that's probably because I, through my sober journey, I have created evidence for myself that I can do hard things and I can manage anything that comes my way. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, the confidence makes my sobriety really feel unshakable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And, and I feel like I was nodding my head once again, sometimes I just sit here like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like if you're like me, like you become very protective of those benefits, you know, like when you start yeah. having that incredible sleep, when you start finding that energy and that time for all the things that you never thought you had time for and stuff. It's like, why would I change this? Why would I go back to a drink to risk losing all of these things I've worked for? Like, is that worth it? Yeah. And the answer is always no, you know, And, and that confidence piece. I mean, you nailed it on the head right there. It's like sobriety. If anything, I've noticed, it just gives you that empowerment and that confidence like okay if I can do this then I can do that and it's like anything it's a really really cool feeling um yeah so if you're listening and you're in the early stages just keep going I always have to say that because I know that it's not all rainbows and butterflies for most during those first few weeks it's very hard it's challenging because what you're doing is really hard but it is so worth it so worth it Yeah. And like how I feel now is certainly not how I felt, you know, six years ago. And it takes time and consistency, like anything, right. Where you like need to show up all the time and, Mm -hmm. you know, there are still hard days and there are still challenging days and it's not like sobriety makes everything like, Oh, it's like rainbows and unicorns all the time. (laughs) Um, but like, we're now more capable of dealing with whatever comes up and we can do it from like a clear present place without a hangover and actually like move through it with a lot more ease, you know? Yep. And I'm glad you said that. Yep. Because I'll get asked that every once in a while, like, well, do you ever get triggers? And I, my immediate answer is yes, of course. Like, it's not like I'm cured. Like, it's not like I don't look at a glass of wine sometimes and have that moment of, oh, but then it's like with practice, with anything you pause and you play that tape forward and you think, okay, why does that look appealing? Am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I stressed out right now? It's like, you're able to break it down and really figure out what it is you need. It's not the glass of wine might be Mm -hmm. that I'm just flipping tired and I need to take a nap or something. You know, you, you get to a point where you can, you can dissect it almost. I don't know. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think only when you like take the thing that's making you foggy and like watering you Mm -hmm. down out of the equation. Can you actually be present enough to like figure those things out? Exactly. 100%. 100%. Well, you're doing a lot of cool shit right now. 
you mentioned a lot of things and I mean, I'm just, I'm so impressed and I'm always so inspired when I get to have these conversations because, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of what we're all doing right now is because of our sobriety. I mean, you mentioned you are a recovery coach and you are, okay, correct me if I say it wrong, but it's like a, a tapping practitioner. EF, is it EFT? Is yeah, it is? stands for emotional freedom techniques. It's also called tapping. And yes, I am a practitioner of that. Yes. Tell me, can you tell me about it? Like for those of you, cause I I've heard of tapping. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear more about kind of what, what you're doing these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, tapping essentially is a self-administered holistic tool that basically works um, a lot of the same systems as acupuncture minus the needles. Gotcha. Um, and so it works to send a signal. So by using the acupoints on your body and literally tapping on it, like people can't see, but it looks like this, you know, picking the points on your body um, and following a sequence. It essentially works to send a signal to your brain to press pause on your fight or flight response while you are verbally going through a situation that has caused you distress. So I actually took myself through um, my own tapping protocol this afternoon for something that has been causing me a tremendous amount of distress. And so essentially now that I'm on the other side of it, um, when I think about that thing, after having tapped on it, I have rewired my experience with that thing so that my response is now neutral as opposed Mm. to stressed. Interesting. It sounds like magic, but I swear there is, there is science behind it. It's like, it's a like there is science behind it. It's really, really interesting. And actually uh, they're putting, you know, they're doing a lot of studies on tapping. It's a relatively new modality. It came out um, in the 1990s. So in my, like our lifetime, Um, and they're actually putting it head to head with some of the more established modality, therapeutic modalities, like um, cognitive behavioral therapy and like tapping is winning. So, um, which isn't to say CBT doesn't have, you know, tremendous benefits and value and options are great and every modality has its limitations. Um, And so, yeah, I I think it's really interesting. And there are loads of studies around how effective it is with things like um, anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, disordered eating, smoking cessation, um, and the applications are like very, very broad. And what I really like about it is once you know how to do it, and I like teach all of my clients how to do it because then they can do it on their own. Mm -hmm. They can apply it to whatever situation they want. They have a system and a structure and my system and structures are based off of how studies do it. And so we know that it's effective because it's been tested. Um, But yeah, I really like it. I use it with all of my clients and the results are bonkers. Like I've also worked with other coaches who use tapping as a modality. And Mm -hmm. I personally have released a lot of deep seated trauma that now when I think about it, it's just like nothing. Like I remember it. 
it happened. It's part of my experience, but it doesn't cause me the same emotional distress that it once did, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. it just, I felt like you talking about it. It's like you were able to just release it, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, wow. I love that. And thank you for explaining that because I had heard of it before. I think I have have run into people that have mentioned it, but I never knew Mm -hmm. exactly what it was. So I love that you explained that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at my list. I always go down my list of questions. Um, tell me what is the most important thing in your life right now? Mm, I love that. Um, well, in terms of like, you know, this stuff and my work, um, I would say, supporting as many women and LGBTQ plus folks as possible in entering and sustaining sobriety, Um, changing normative alcohol culture, which is the way we talk and think about and engage with alcohol, telling the truth when it comes to alcohol. And I think the modeling piece, like really showing people that there is another way to live and that, you know, not having alcohol in your life is not, it's not a bad thing. It actually opens the door to so many possibilities and more than you could probably ever imagine. So that's sort of where I'm at, you know, yeah, professionally. Um, And then personally, I, have been doing a lot of my own healing work, which has been really helpful and hard. Um, getting back to traveling, which has been like really nice yeah. after COVID and all of it. Um, and I think just like being as present as I possibly can to all the experiences available to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those are some big things. Thank you for being a game changer. <laughs> I mean, seriously <laughs> yeah. though, I mean, it's people like you that are, are out there making a difference and using your recovery is kind of, I don't know. I just feel like that's what fuels us to want to give back and help more. And um, mm-hmm. thank you for everything you're doing for our community. It's big stuff. So thank you. It's an honor. Honestly, it is. And like such a privilege. Yeah. And I take it very seriously because like I know what this means, you know, mm-hmm. from a very personal place. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I get to do what I do. Yeah. Cause it's mm-hmm. relatable. We can relate to the feelings that people are going through and yeah. what a privilege it is to kind of do that full circle and be able yeah. to, uh, to hopefully help more. So, oh, I yeah. love that. All right. Well, looking forward, I mean, you're already doing so many things, but, but what's on that list? What's on that bucket list? Are there big things in the works? And I always like to tell my guests, like, it doesn't have to be big. It could be, you know what? My, my sobriety. This is it. Like, I just want to stay sober. (laughs) But if there are things, you know, that are in the next chapter, if you don't mind sharing, what's, what's ahead? Mm -hmm. Um, well, I want to write a book at some point. Um, I've been writing a lot more now as a sober person and things just like flow shockingly when I'm not (laughs) numbing my brain down. Um, (laughs) things flow a lot more easily. So I write a lot more. So I would like to write a book. Um, and honestly, like keep doing a lot of what I'm doing because I really love what I'm doing. Um, and then in terms of just like, bigger impact because like impact is really important to me um I would at some point 
like to somehow get myself into the mix of like policy work, Mm. just to change the way in, in bigger ways, like how in under the umbrella of normative alcohol culture, like how we actually regulate this stuff and, you know, like getting warning labels on alcohol bottles. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um like that kind of stuff or like yeah just just making changes that are impactful on a broader scale ah oh, I'm rooting for you I think you should go for it thank you I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> well my last question on the list it's uh it's cheesy but it's the one I always look forward to is uh to the one or many people that are listening right now and feeling inspired to make a change, what advice would you give them? First of all, that is not cheesy. I love this question <laughs> also, because I think it's really valuable. It's like, okay, yeah. great. I talked a lot about this, but like speaking directly to the people who are like, okay, I feel inspired. Now what? Now what? Um, yeah. Um, a couple of things. One, I think just like as a reminder, it is never too late or too early to create change in your life, right? You don't have to wait until things get worse before they can get better. And regardless of what has already happened, you have a say in what happens next. So just like reminding people to really connect with their power and with like what they already have, like we already have everything we need inside us to create change. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just, it's a disconnect or it's years of, of forgetting or being told that we don't have that power when we actually do. And so I think it's just really a reminder for folks to just like reconnect to that power and remind them that like they can do this. They can do this. Um, and I think the final question, and, and it kind of, you know, circles back to what you were saying earlier about all the benefits in sobriety and like, is it worth this? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of asking ourselves if, you know, alcohol is bad enough to get rid of, asking ourselves if it's good enough to keep or if it's good enough to invite back in right? Mm -hmm. Like, are we willing to compromise all of these amazing things for this other thing? Are we willing to risk it? Are the benefits so great in terms of what alcohol brings into our life that we're like, yeah, it's good enough. It's good enough for me. Um, And I just think that that's so helpful. And it, you know, speaks to the piece about like not having to wait until things get worse it's like Mm -hmm. let's change our standards for ourselves collectively like is it good enough is it good enough for you yeah absolutely and such a great reminder because sometimes we look at ourselves from the outside and we're like well it's not that bad Mm -hmm. but but could it be better could I feel better you know like I'm definitely worth it so like you said, let's, let's raise that bar. Let's high, you know, make our standards a little higher and treat yeah. ourselves the way that we should be treated. So, yeah. oh my goodness. It has been so much fun getting to know you and having you on today, Amy. I really appreciate you taking the time. If yeah. people want to get in touch with you or find out more about your programs, I think you have a, a free guide on your website and everything. How can they get a hold of you? 
Yes, great question. Um, so yeah, I do. So one of the things when I first got sober, I just like fumbled around. I was like, okay, great. I'm not putting alcohol in my body. Now what, right? Like, what do I do? Um, so I created the five-step guide to kickstart your sobriety workbook. It is a free workbook and it is, you know, designed with the newly sober fumbling around person in mind, which was me essentially six years ago. Um, and that is available on my website and I believe it's also going to be in the show notes so folks can grab it there. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Ms. Amy C. Willis and you can also visit my website which is wholeandwell.com which is H-O-L-A-N-D-W-E-L-L.com and for anybody who is listening and thinking hey, coaching might be really helpful or coaching might be, you know, something I'd like to explore. Um, for the decidedly dry community, I am offering 10% off of one-on-one -on -one coaching packages and you can use the code decidedly dry 10 to access that discount. And I do also offer um, complimentary calls where we get a chance to get to know each other and figure out if working together is the next best step for you. So that's also all on my website. Awesome. Fantastic. And thank you for offering that. I will definitely have all of that in the show notes. And um, again, just appreciate you being here. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. This is so great. I'm so glad we got to chat. Me too. Have an awesome day. You too. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.